I'm excited to announce our upcoming 2023 Banking with Life client-only event. It's going to happen in mid-October of 2023. It's going to happen downtown Fort Worth, Texas. Our whole team will be there. The team has been working very hard to make this an event that's not to be missed. I'll be there, have an opportunity to meet me, have an opportunity to meet the team. I'm going to be speaking. We'll have other guest speakers, and you'll have the opportunity to meet a room full of like-minded people. Think about that. A room full of people that are practicing becoming their own banker. They are practicing the infinite banking concept. You'll have the opportunity to meet with them and share with them. You got to be somewhere. You might as well be there. In this episode, I discuss paid up editions, riders, and some of the characteristics that you may want to consider in the context of becoming your own banker. Thank you for listening. I had fun. The PUA construct does matter to you, the policyholder. It matters to me as a policyholder, what I can do and what I can't do. Okay. All right. And I don't know, that might be more information than you want or, and I'm not shilling for the life insurance companies, right? I, we need them. We love them. I, I prefer mutual life insurance companies in the financial world. Um, we want them, right? Okay. So the PUA, there's some of the things that you can do, some of the costs, some of the considerations. Now let's just consider when you first became exposed to this idea of becoming your own banker. Remember, Nelson, the whole purpose of becoming your own banker is to control the banking function in your life as it relates to you becoming your own banker, right? And then life insurance just happens to have all the characteristics that are required to practice banking, quote unquote banking and banking in in the the sense that we're not starting a bank banking in the sense of the movement of money payments deposits withdrawals loans loan repayments you deposit money in the bank you don't deposit money into a life insurance company and i know some of the life insurance companies are lazy in their language as well and use the term deposit it's a premium all right, just ask any state regulator. <laughs> They'll tell you. Okay. So when we're exposed to this idea, and Nelson, you know, he used illustrations in his book that was printed in 2000, Becoming Your Own Banker. He said many times afterwards he would never put illustrations in the book because it served as a point of confusion for the agent and the consumer. But he was just demonstrating or illustrating, trying to convey the uh, power of the infinite banking concept becoming your own banker, right, with life insurance. So we use some illustrations. Well, that book was printed in 2000. You know, uh, well, I don't want to get ahead of myself. And so if you look at like a equipment financing, you know, he, pay, he showed four years of premium being paid out of pocket by the policyholder. And then the premiums were offset by the policy through surrenders of PUA. They, but he began financing, you know, his uh, logging trucks. <clears throat> that does not mean, so when you're first exposed to this concept, you know, and we're trying to get as much cash value as we can into a policy, it's like that becomes, it seems like it has become the only focus or the main focus in the infinite banking footprint. And it shouldn't be, right? It just, in my opinion, it shouldn't be. Well, why not, James? Well, because of what uh, Miss 
I, I call them mutilated policies when you're trying to go cash on cash in year one, two, or three. What it does into the future, right? Well, what does that mean? Well, the future is unknown. Okay, the companies have already built these products, so you can't have an adverse selection ability against them. And then what you do, whether you pay the PUA or you don't pay the PUA, how you limit yourself in the future, the ability to pay a premium, um, just to name a few. There's more. I'll talk about those more later, probably in another you know commentary or another episode. But when you if you look at what Nelson did in becoming your own banker, now keep in mind that Nelson the first policy on his life was purchased when he was 13 years of age. 13. He was born in 1931. Okay. And then he purchases, or he started paying for that policy at age 14. Then he continued to buy policies on himself and Mary when they were married. And then he, he just continued. Of course, he was a forester. By, he was an aviator, number one. He was a pilot, an airplane driver. Okay. Um, know something about efficiency. That's why I use the uh, airplane you know, example in his presentation, headwinds and tailwinds, right? He was a forester by education, so he know he knew he seen the value of thinking long term and he seen the value in real estate. Timberland is real estate, timbers real estate. Okay. And then he also knew the power of life insurance and all of the the majority of the policies that he owned especially on his life, were typically structured policies. If they had a PUA, it was a place to receive a dividend. Right? When, the, when the dynamic PUA or the flexible PUA or the unspecified premium PUA came about in the very late 80s, really in the 90s, you know, he, he was not buying life insurance on his own life. Just read his book, Becoming Your Own Banker. His story is in the front of that. Right now, he was buying policies on other family members. I granted the majority of the policies that he owned did not have this unspecified or dynamic ability to pay an additional PUA premium above the dividend. All right, so think about that. Here he was in 1980, he had all this cash value and all these outstanding loans, and then he, he uh, you know, became aware of he should become his own banker and how to do it. He had access contractually to all these cash values. The majority of those cash values were not produced by PUA premium. That's my point. Okay. All right. And now, when we are exposed to this idea of becoming your own banker and high cash value, it's quite common for the consumer, even the new agent, to say and to think, I don't want a death benefit. I'm trying to buy the least amount of death benefit as much cash value as possible. I've said the same thing. I understand. I mean, I get it. I'm no different, right? Um, at what expense, right? My, I want to make a couple of points here. Number one, you can't buy life insurance without a death benefit. The death benefit is a characteristic of life insurance and has a very important place in, in a in a total financial picture of an individual or a business. You cannot, you should not, in my opinion, discount the death benefit. Okay. And and I've said many times too, look, by construct, the life insurance cash values must equal the face amount at age 120. So do I want a little bitty face amount or death benefit at age 120? No. And if I'm going to limit myself on how much PUA I can pay in the future, then now I'm only paying base premium. Aren't I, in fact, then 
having or going to create a smaller death benefit at age 120? Yes. Okay. When we first look at this, we want to discount the death benefit and we want to focus solely on the cash value at the expense of all the future years. That's short term thinking. Whenever you solely focus on one characteristic of life insurance, especially the PUA and the structure of the PUA premium or the relationship or the re- the ratios of how much premium is paid to the PUA and how much is paid to the base, we automatically continue in thinking or yeah continue in flawed thinking but it's short-term thinking if i have to have the cumulative premium and the cumulative cash value equal as soon as possible that's short-term thinking and i'm doing that if i take those actions i'm going to forfeit future benefits in the future potentially all right, because I'm going to limit how much premium I can pay in the future. And if the dividend is greater on the base premium in the future than it is in the PUA in the future, I want the biggest dividend possible if I'm working with a profitable company, one that's financially sound and successful. And then if I'm young, especially, my income should be going up. You know, I surely don't want to set myself into a position where I'm forced to reduce the premium or I'm forced to go back through underwriting by not paying the minimum PUA premium and that rider closing or I've said many times to the XY scale you know we can the agent the advisor the consumer you can structure you know what is the best blend of PUA premium to base premium and The higher the PUA you pay in the early years, the shorter the duration you're going to be able to pay a premium into the policy. All right. So there's cannot be one single design or solution for everyone unless you're in communist China. Right. Which. Oh, they don't have life insurance in communist China. Oh, because they're not capitalists. Okay. So when we're first exposed to it, we discount the death benefit. We focus on only the cash value and the company has designed products so you can't practice adverse selection against them. They put limitations on the riders, the minimum, the maximum. And then we've got to contend with the MAC rules, right? There's an initial seven pay test, which is just saying the initial seven pay uh, MEC test. Um, That MEC test continues every year into the future, okay? It matters. So if I put a, uh, okay, so I want to back up. Going back to Nelson, all base premium is what he paid. I'm not saying you should pay all base premium. I'm just conveying what Nelson did, right? And then the PUA that came available in the 90s, they become dynamic. The products have changed by the insurance companies. In my opinion, they've improved for the most part. Um, And you and your agent advisor should be aware of what is available and what you can do and what you can't do and why that matters. And why it matters is specific to your particular situation, even though the future is unknown. Okay. Um, We're exposed to this idea. We're focusing on the cash value. right? The agent... Of course, he wants to get paid, and he should get paid. I'm a capitalist. You should get paid. We should all get paid for our God-given abilities and talents or the service that we provide others. No question about that. Um, Does that mean I 
because I want to get paid, should design a policy and contort it to the nth degree to get you in a position to you're comfortable in paying a premium. Um, I don't think so. But knowing what you can do in the future and what you might do in the future, what you want to do in the future, would speak to and have a voice in the design of a policy. Right. How much premium can you pay into the PUA? How much can you or should you pay into the PUA? How much can you or should you pay into the PUA? What should that ratio look like? Right. And I think if you take the longer term view, um, you'll want an appropriate ratio between the base and the PUA. And it is not the same for everyone. But if you look at now, when you focus on any particular characteristic of life insurance, even including the PUA, if I'm only focusing on that, or I'm trying to calculate an internal rate of return, and I make that internal rate of return go up on the illustration because I have a higher PUA premium, therefore I have a higher early cash value, therefore I have a higher, maybe a higher internal rate of return that's illustrated. Does that mean you should do it? No. That illustration is wrong when you print it. Why? Because you don't know what you're going to do in the future and you don't know what the life insurance company is going to do in the future. You don't know if they're going to be profitable and pay the dividend at this rate or that rate. You don't know and you can't control the interest rate environment. The Fed does that, right? So I'm just saying that um, there's a lot of those components that you can't control. What you can control is what you enter into your mind, what you read, what you listen to, who you hang around with, and what you actually do, okay? So I think that whenever you hyper focus on any particular characteristic of life insurance, you automatically go down the road of continuing the flawed thinking and you're violating Nelson's four fundamentals. Yep, I'm a leftist. I can get past Nelson Nash um, as far as finance and the big wide world of uh, life insurance, but it's uh, you'll be hard pressed to improve his work, in my opinion. Although you may say you do, and you may, and I'm talking to agents out there that do that, um, or say they do that. They've created a new bolt-on. This is different. This is different. This is different. There are some differences that have happened, but uh, the solution is not a HELOC or a higher PUA is my point. Okay, so you automatically go down the road of short-term thinking and you automatically continue down the road of violating Nelson's four fundamentals. Number one, think long range. You want the policy to serve you well over your lifetime. You want to pay an appropriate PUA and you want the contractual right to pay that as long as possible, okay? And then two, don't be afraid to pay a premium, Well, he said, don't be afraid to capitalize is what Nelson said. Number two, fundamental, which means, and, you know, I say which means, I say it this way. Don't be afraid to pay a premium, i.e., don't be afraid to pay a premium. Well, I'm afraid to pay a premium if I have to have all of the cash value equal my total premium. If I have to go cash on cash in one year, year one, two, or three. I'm thinking short term. I'm violating that. And the mere fact that I violated the first two, I'm going to likely violate the third. Well, Nelson's third fundamental is be an honest banker, i.e. don't steal the peas, right? Be an honest banker. Repay the loans. If you're afraid to pay a premium, number one, if you're afraid to capitalize, number two, or I'm sorry, number one, if you can't think long range or you don't think long range, you're violating that number one. You're violating number two by being afraid to pay a premium. If you have to have access to everything at the expense of future abilities and contractual rights, 
you're violating number two, right? Afraid to capitalize. You're likely going to violate number three, which is be an honest banker. Don't steal the peas, right? Make your loan repayments. If you don't want to pay a premium, you sure as heck ain't going to want to make a loan repayment, right? My experience, my opinion, 22 or three years practicing the infinite banking concept, 30 a long time in the life insurance business, but I could be wrong. Maybe your case is different, right? Okay. And then number four is don't be dependent upon banks. Well, once you go down the road of flawed thinking, if the high PUA and early cash values is good, why don't I go borrow the money to make that happen? How you become dependent upon a third party lender, right? Which I call all of that noise. I've talked a lot about it, almost to the point where I'm tired of talking about it, but I keep talking about it because I don't want it to get on you. I don't want the noise to get on you. If it does get on you, I want you to be able to recognize it and avoid it. But if it does get on you, I want you to be able to recognize it and get it off of you. Okay? So it's all in love. All right. If... uh, If I continue down what Nelson did in becoming your own banker, you know, he illustrated four years of premium, then the policy paying its own premium after that through PUA surrenders and surrenders of dividend to pay interest. Um, That doesn't mean that premium wasn't being paid. That base premium of 15,000 was being paid through those surrenders. And then part of it was being paid by loan repayments and additional quote unquote interest that he was paying on the loans above the 8% that that company was charging. In that, I think it's on page 58, 59, talking about that interest. But let's look at some of the changes and nothing that I do or say is ever meant to be an improvement of Nelson's work, a me too, an add on, an additional thing whatsoever. I believe Nelson's work stands on its own. Uh, It needs no interpretation. It needs no explanation. And it needs no um, outside component to make it right my opinion. However, the industry has changed, right? So the life insurance industry is, of course, regulated by states, but how do they price life insurance? They do that through um, the Census Bureau, right? What is the life expectancy of the all-American, you know, citizen? And that keeps growing. It used to be all life insurance policy was designed on a 100-year theoretical life expectancy. Now they're designed on a 120-year theoretical life expectancy. There have been two CSO, Commissioner Standard Ordinary uh, Tables, two CSO table changes since Nelson printed his book. And then Section 7702 of the Internal Revenue uh, Code was... Uh, changed and modified in 2001 or 2000, maybe it was 2023, 2021 became effective in 2022, I believe. How, what discount rates or what interest rates a company would use to determine a MET calculation, a modified endowment calculation. So those things have changed. They didn't call you and ask you. They didn't call me and ask me. They were done. Right. And I think, you know, they've been a boon to the life insurance company. I have other opinions on that. But the fact is, we're living longer and the life insurance policies are now designed for a longer theoretical life expectancy. Those changes have affected what can be done on policy construct. If you notice in Nelson's book, he did not use term. There's nowhere did he use a term component in any of the illustrations, right? Now today, because of those changes, uh, I included uh, most of 
everyone has, in the infinite banking footprint has introduced an, a term component to raise the death benefit up to avoid the MET. Okay, and then 7702, just as a side note, did change the amount of death benefit that a whole life premium dollar buys comparatively. So now it just means it takes less death benefit to avoid a MEC after or post 7702 change compared to pre 7702 change 2020. But it still requires a term component to be added to avoid the MEC and have a high PUA ability have the ability to pay a higher PUA premium. Nelson didn't use the term. So what did he do? It was a case-by-case situation in his book. The ratios are different in every illustration that he uh, illustrated in his book, but um, the majority of them was as much PUA premium as you could pay without becoming a MEC and being able to pay the premium over the duration. Some of those policies were paid up at age 65, paid to 100, paid to, 90, paid to age 96. And I've done a talk on, I've done several talks on exactly this part of the CSO changes and, you know, what, what how we uh, have reacted to that and how we construct policies, you know, because of that. It influences on the structure of the policy. But the most important influence on a policy design is you, your family, your future. That cannot be left. I mean, that's the starting point. So any time and every time you focus or a focus is put on a particular characteristic of life insurance, we go down the road or continue down the road of flawed thinking. We continue down the road of violating Nelson's four fundamentals. And I've talked many times on that. If we, as simple as it is, as trite as it may sound, if you put the fundamentals that Nelson laid out, the it was four fundamentals originally, then he added the fifth. Number one, think long range. Number two, don't be afraid to capitalize. Number three, don't steal the peas. Number four, don't be dependent upon the bank. Right, third-party lenders. And then he added number five, rethink your thinking. Because that is where the problem is between our ears. So if we look and we try to focus on a singular characteristic, I want a little death benefit. I want a lot of death benefit. I want a particular rate of return. I want a particular ratio between the PUA and the base premium. If we focus on any singular characteristic of a life insurance policy and the construct of it, in my opinion – we're making a mistake. <clears throat> That's not the starting point. Um, the starting point should be an educated consumer and an educated agent or advisor, right? And then your particular situation, your particular circumstances, what you want to do in the future, what you might think you can do in the future, what are your God-given abilities and talents? How how have you been? You know, it's like if you've created a bunch of debt um, and you think buying big old life insurance policies, paying a big old premium, you know, the BOLA, big old life insurance premium, and then you collateralize all of that to get out of debt, the odds are that's not the problem. The problem is maybe in your thinking and your actions, right? Lack of discipline of getting out of debt. Okay. And I'm just saying that because, you know, getting out of debt and taking over credit card debt is a big marketing thing now that's like, oh, this is what you can do with life insurance. So that's one thing that you can do with life insurance. But I digress. 
Anytime we focus on a singular characteristic or boil down the power of a policy into one particular characteristic, you know, we're going off into flawed thinking. We're violating Nelson's four fundamentals and this fifth one that was added. And we're just continuing that. And it may not be to your best interest. I get it. The real estate investor needs all the money today. Heck, we all need all the capital today. Right. I get it. We all need all the capital today. I get it. It's still short-term thinking. You're still going to need capital in the future. I'm going to need capital in the future. Oh, wait. I'm going to become my own banker at the you and me level. I'm going to control that banking function. And then if we get into, and I'm not in this particular episode, get into an even distribution of age classes, if I want to lay the foundation for my family and future generations, should I focus on year one or year two? No. Should I focus on year five, six, or seven? No. I want to focus. It's a whole life policy on my life. Well, the future is unknown. It's God's business when I graduate and when you graduate. You don't even know. I don't know, and I don't want to know. But I want a policy to serve me my whole life. right? I'm going to need capital if I just want to give it away at age 99. And you're going to be no different. So what you use a capital for may be different, but you're still going to have a need and a desire for capital, in my opinion. Um, but I could be wrong. Okay, so the industries have changed, right? And being new to IBC, it's very easy to focus on the cash values, right? Well, that occurs, the early cash values in the PUA. The PUA is a very important component. So what do we do, James? Well, know your product, know the people that you're working with, and they should know the infinite banking concept beyond social media marketing. You know, they should understand life insurance. They should maybe understand Nelson's work of becoming your own banker. Right. That's what we're doing. We're controlling the banking function. Right. It's not just a financial gimmick to put a life insurance policy in the middle of all those premiums and all of those loans. So. The things that you're doing anyway, purchasing cars, purchasing real estate, yeah, you should stick a life insurance policy in there, but you should understand what you can and can't do with the PUA. You should practice the four fundamentals, and you should think long-term, right? Number one, think long-term. Okay. Um, and really, I believe that that is the solution, is for you to know and be aware. Knowledge is power, and you know, action uh, added to uh, knowledge is almost nirvana whenever your action is centered on your God-given abilities and talents. So how do you do that, James? Well, number one, <clears throat> I think you ought to be right with the universe and the creator, but when it comes to the infinite banking concept, you should know what Nelson's work is and why it matters to you, becoming your own banker. First book, Building Your Warehouse of Wealth, his second book. And then there are other books, none of which improve, in my opinion, Nelson's work. Some may add clarity in particular points. You know, most of it or an awful lot of it, I don't want to paint with a broad brush, but an awful lot of it is nothing more than glorified marketing pamphlets, right? Which, God bless them. Look, I want you to know that I try not to chase too many rabbits talking about paid up additions riders, but I did go a little long. So we're going to continue the conversation and the commentary in the next episode. Thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us on the Banking with Life podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe and click on that little notification bell. Otherwise, join us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher for weekly content.